Welcome back to the Trans Narrative Civic Report. It's May 2nd, 2023, and we are reporting for the news of May 1st to May 7th. We want to make sure you're informed about the current legislation. We believe that being informed is essential to understanding the challenges facing our communities. We want to make sure that you have the right tools to prepare for any kind of conversation you may need to have with your loved ones about what this means to you and how it impacts your communities. This week, Athena Primakis, Alexis Strope, and Mara Newell meet with Alex Petronia, Executive Director of the Transformation Project. And Caroline Penny, creator and producer of the Trans Narrative Podcast. I wanted to take this time prior to our conversation with Alex and talk a little bit about what this project means and what the Civic Report is. The Trans Narrative Civic Report is an important resource that aims to educate the public and promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. We believe that everyone has the right to be informed and that access to accurate and unbiased information is essential for a functioning democracy. Our report explores the rise of fascism and how it compares to democracy, as well as how to dissect misinformation and tackle the onslaught of legislation being aimed at our community. We are a proud partner with the Transformations Project, a trans-led nonprofit organization that tracks anti-trans legislation being proposed, voted on, and passed in the United States. Their work is essential to understanding the challenges facing the trans community and promoting equity and justice for all. Through meaningful conversation and community engagement, we hope to foster a dialogue that promotes understanding and empathy. Join us each week as we explore the issues that matter most to our communities and work to build a more just and equitable society for all. I'm Caroline Penny, and I want to thank you for being here with us this week. And with that being said, I'm going to hand it over to Athena Mar and our guest co-host, Alexis Strope, with our fantastic guest and director of the Transformation Project, Alex Petronia. This is Athena Promakis with the Trans Narrative Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mar Newell, Alexis Strope, and Alexander Petronia. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Alexander. Uh, what led you uh, to founding uh, this project? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, so, uh, Firstly, I'll just say, "Hey, I'm Alex." Yeah, let me Alex. let me let me back that up. I went right into the questions, like <laughs> I, like I was. No, gonna, no, no, you're look, totally okay. No, but it was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Alexander, introduce yourself. What can you tell? <laughs> what would you like to? What would you like for us to notice? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. My name is Alex Petrovnia. I use he/him pronouns. Um, I am the founder, current president of the board, and current executive director of the Transformations Project. Awesome. We appreciate you joining us today. So uh, what led you to the founding of the Transformations Project? Um, it's kind of a wild story, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's twofold. Um, so the Transformations Project began like as an initiative in the spring of 2021. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I uh, was noticing this anti-trans legislation start to pop up like here and there. And I didn't really see anybody talking about it. Um, and uh, this was particularly in a social media environment. Uh, so at the same time as I started to notice uh, this anti-trans legislation start popping up and not really see a lot of chatter about it, um, I accidentally went viral on Twitter. Um, I wrote a thread about the history of the Appalachian Mountains um, and the geology of it, and it went 
to the front page of Twitter, which was ridiculous. Um, and overnight I went from like 7,000 followers to like 35,000 followers. At that point, um, I had recently left an unfortunate job um, and I was recently Twitter famous and I started writing plain language descriptions of these anti-trans bills, like interpreting them. Um, I'm not actually trained um, in policy or in legislative analysis. Um, I'm trained as a scientist, actually. Um, but uh, my training is in ecology and environmental resource management. Um, but I basically was like, I have experience reading scientific papers. Um, and that's, you know, very dense, very, you have to learn how each, how each phrase is interpretable in that context. Um, and so I figured, oh, I could probably read some legislative documents. And I started reading them and interpreting them over Twitter. And I actually started by literally tagging all of the representatives that I wanted to vote against this bill and directly like telling people, hey, comment here where they're all tagged and, you know, interact with them, like make your opinions known here. And over time, as I was doing that, uh, more and more people reached out and they were like, hey, this is a really cool thing you're doing. I hadn't heard about this anti-trans legislation yet. Uh, is there anything I can do to help you? And I was like, absolutely. And so we started this small group uh, where at this point it was pretty much just sports fans. Um, we started this small group where we were tracking um, these anti-trans legislation and trying to get the word out about them. And finally, more people came on and somebody was like, hey, we should host this on a website. And I was like, I don't know how to do that, but we absolutely should. Um, and so really the point of all this is, yes, I am the founder. Yes, I have been the executive director since we founded. Um, but I could not have done this without the incredible people who have been on this journey with me. And really, it is a group effort. It's not just me. I, I do the interviews. I represent more than myself. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a, it's a big task to take on, and uh, definitely it was an interesting place to start from, all the way from the Appalachian Mountains and in a science background. Uh, honestly, like that's kind of what engaged me first in in kind of the the dialogue and debate portions of of things is uh, engaging with kind of the scientific material that seems to be covered by some of the legislation, and definitely is now being reproduced in bill after bill uh, by some of those. So it's really important to try and make those plain language and make sure that the language they're using is being true and accurate to the original resource. Um, so, I mean, that's a, it's a big task to take on. So how has your life uh, managed to, to work around all of the different tasks and responsibilities that's added on? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So currently the Transformations Project is entirely volunteer run. Um, that means every single person who participates in the project is a volunteer, um, including myself. Um, and so things have changed in the last couple of years uh, and, you know, I need to pay rent. So I have a full time job as a laboratory manager. Um, and then I also have a full time job as an executive director. Um, so my day to day, I you know go to work at 8 a.m., leave at 4 p.m., go home and work on transformations projects for a couple hours and then usually stop by like 7 or 8 p.m. So I'm very busy right now. Um, but, you know, I'm doing I'm doing good work and I'm doing work that matters to me. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm very grateful for. 
Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way. Like sometimes it's just like a project that seems to eat up the other time. And, and that's one of the parts of it is just to make it overwhelming that this part of our life has to be preventing us from, you know, normal and, and ha you know, happy uh, activities in life. So it, it's definitely important to make sure that that's uh, awareness uh, and to balance uh, your own health. So uh, obviously you've got other people to help you out in this project. Can you tell us about some of the people who are involved there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's just, there's so many incredible people that I've had the privilege to both meet and become like close friends with. Um, like truly we've built this community and this support network among the people who volunteer for Transformations Project. And it is just really beautiful. Um, yeah, we have attracted over 250 volunteers, um, which is huge for this little project that literally started as a spreadsheet in my Google Drive. Uh, and we we have people with expertise in all different kinds of things. It takes, you know, it takes everyone to run an organization. There's always uh there's always a place for your skill set. And we really try to, that's something we emphasize at Transformations Project is uh regardless of your experience, regardless of your skill set, regardless of really anything. Uh, we will find a place for you to contribute if you want to contribute. And that's something we really value. Um, but yeah, I just, I can't speak highly enough of the people, the people I get to work with. Uh, and I say this all the time, but like, I would be nowhere without them. This is not a project of me. This is a project of us. No, I, I understand that. I'm my, one of my best friends, like we're, we're a family we just started our own nonprofit and like, I understand where you're at in that sense. Just the, cause I work a full-time job. I'm in higher ed. And so I understand, I, I'm glad there's somebody that like you, that's out there, that's translating some of the language. Cause it is so, they asked me to help and like, I could only do it so much because my training is more in history and like, helping college students, you know, the personnel side. So it's, mm -hmm. I understand the language, but sometimes I need a refresher. <laughs> so it's great that um, you, we have someone within the community that's doing that for us. And Alexis, you had the next question. Uh, yeah. So you obviously have this huge goal that you're trying to achieve with spreading awareness of uh, the legislation that's coming out, making it easy for people to read. Um, but who does your organization serve and why? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, so we have, um, we have uh, a few different targets um, and like, bear with me when I'm talking about this. No problem. So like, our, our major objective as an organization is to provide accurate, accessible, and actionable information about the anti-trans legislative crisis. Um, we target uh, we target different groups with different content that we produce, right? So we have a really a threefold mission in terms of who we're trying to reach. Um, which sounds like a lot because it is a lot, but I, I truly believe that without this integrated approach, we would be less effective. So firstly, we, you know, we try to get our message to trans people and their loved ones. 
Um, we truly and deeply believe that trans and non-binary people and their loved ones deserve to know what they're up against in a realistic, accessible, and honest way. Um, and frankly, all resistance starts with accurate knowledge of what you're resisting. So we are kind of the foundation of, we hope that people use our information and our data to spawn their own projects and their own, uh, you know, their own ideas and their own organizing generally. Second fold, we target cis people who have not really done anything to support trans people. Um, we try to activate them in order to uh, do the work, basically. Um, and the one kind of really easy introductory ask that we have of people is we say, you know, we give you all of the anti-trans bills. We give you plain language descriptions of all of them. We tell you exactly which representatives to contact and we give you the contact information for those representatives. And so the very first ask that we have for cis people who want to do something is, hey, contact your representatives about this. They are the ones, you know, uh, creating, they are the ones um, introducing and forwarding this legislation that is having deeply harmful effects. Um, and we really emphasize over and over that contacting representatives is the first step and not the last. Um, and it really matters to do that, especially on these state level representatives. Um, with state level representatives, a lot of them are kind of used to flying under the radar a little more. And so more and more people contacting them about legislation makes a substantial difference. Um, ultimately, they, they, ultimately, these are elected positions and ultimately um, it's good to remind them that. Uh, so we target um, cis people to do something about the ongoing anti-trans legislative crisis. Um, and then the third kind of target, which is more of our um, internal, uh, less of our public facing target, but more of our internal operations, is that we also work pretty closely with local organizers and local and regional uh, organizations. Basically, we want to take on this giant task of saying like, here, let's track this, let's interpret this, let's make sure we have this accurately, and then we can pass off that information to local organizers and organizations, um, and they can make change in their communities based on this information. I have to that agree. Is I'm 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 sorry. Did I interrupt you, Athena? <laughs> oh no, I was going to say I, I have to agree that definitely contacting representative—that's the first step—and uh, that is a very targeted and fruitful uh, effort here. Yeah, uh, if you can uh, corner them for any time to actually sit down with them, uh, a lot of people who are even in the legislature have not taken the time to to have an interview with a person who's an ally even, or a person who is trans. Uh, had two people who are veterans in my local support group show up at the Missouri uh, legislature and they uh, gathered about 20 people and had them uh, invite them back and talk about it. But because of the uh, bill or the uh, a ban that's been pushed through in Missouri, uh, their health care is being affected even though they are federally provided for uh, because they're veteran status. Um, so how is this uh, situation in Missouri different from maybe some of the others that we've seen? Sure. Um, 
the the Missouri situation is it's an emergency. Um, it that's that's what it is, and it should be a wake up call for people. Um, it really is an escalation in what we're seeing, and the major reason for that. And the major like logic there, it's an escalation both in rhetoric and in action, uh, is that previously healthcare bans, which I want to emphasize are politicians stepping in to decide what healthcare you are allowed to have, even if it is considered best practice healthcare by the majority of doctors and medical associations. So I just wanna set that, make that precedent clear when even minor healthcare bans are going into effect or even being considered, what they're considering is setting a precedent that politicians have more authority over what medical care you should have than doctors, mm -hmm. which should scare people. It really, really should. Because this idea that they're going to just ta attack trans people and leave everybody else alone is not accurate. It is not supported by the rhetoric it is not supported by history it is not supported by anything but denial frankly um and so the real uh healthcare bans in general are a hugely dramatic hugely dramatic political moment um and this institution in missouri is a huge escalation for a few reasons. One, um, it targets adults. Um, it bans healthcare access for adults. And in general, um, and in the United States, um, that is a huge escalation just because adults have more legal protections than minors. Um, so when you get into banning adult healthcare, it opens a whole other can of legal worms um, that frankly, I'm not a lawyer and so the lawyers are going to have to figure out the exact repercussions and ramifications of all of that. And I'm sure they are working on that now. Um, many, many lawyers all across the country are working on that right now. Um, another critical thing about the Missouri order is that it is not a piece of legislation. This is not a bill that has been, you know, introduced via the the normal legislative process, which is supposed to provide checks and balances. Um, it has circumvented this system um, by the Attorney General of Missouri basically saying that by executive action. By executive action, exactly, exactly. And so we have this twofold problem of it's targeting healthcare for adults which is going to have massive legal repercussions um, that, you know, unfortunately the scale of legal, the, the, the time scale of legal interventions takes some time um, because it's complicated and it's work for sure. Um, it's, it's really bad. And I'll just say that. Um, and I will also say this by saying I live in Missouri um, my healthcare is being directly affected. Um, and another thing that we cannot ignore about the Missouri ban is the ableism that goes along with it. Um, the Missouri healthcare ban is 
constructed in such a way that um, conditions that are often comorbid with being trans um, are are the point that they are denying care on. So for certain conditions, um, including things like anxiety, depression, ADHD, um, they have to be uh, completely uh, resolved. They have to be completely resolved, yes. Which resolved is not a medical term for these conditions. Um, because that's not really how that works. Um, and, you know, things like certain conditions could theoretically be resolved. Um, some conditions are just lifelong and you cope with them. Um, and then, you know, you get into neurodivergence and neurodivergence itself is just a different way the brain functions. Um, it's not something that's going to magically resolve um, and this comes into the, the real, I guess, the real kicker of it, which is that um, those who are diagnosed with autism um, are strictly forbidden from ever accessing gender-affirming care under this order, just period. So it restricts a group of people who tends to be more gender non-conforming than others from expressing themselves as they want to be. It seems particularly cruel. I live here in Missouri as well. Uh, I've been on the, the ground floor and I feel like it's a steamroller over me and I've got a million things to say about it. You know, uh, all of the time, all of the people that I'm in a group with have had to find their own individual resolutions. I had to take time off work just to find out for myself to make sure I had my ducks in a row. And, you know, for the best of our, our knowledge and abilities, our care providers for most of us have been able to find a way, but not for all of us. And the autistic diagnostic diagnosis is what doctors seem to be most afraid of shying away from, essentially. Um, but basically, if the attorney general wants to find grounds to do so in Missouri, he can try and target anyone who prescribes gender-affirming care to target them for fraud and a felony fraud at that. Um, so this is obviously impacting a, a lot of my friends and family, and I've got lots of, uh, you know, resources, what I've been using, and I want to make sure that people who are in Missouri know that it's not a hopeless situation, and there are certainly uh, legal efforts being made, but it does take time, and right now, some of the most immediate things that can be done, uh, Plume has announced that they're providing free hormone uh, therapy for people in Missouri because of this ban. Uh, Planned Parenthood has opened up clinics uh, impromptu, uh, and all of my prescriptions have been filled and filled and filled uh, since we started hearing about the, the restrictions that are coming through. Thankfully, most of the pharmacies that I've been in contact with, apparently some people have had difficulty with Walgreens. Most of it has been, though, about delivery and logistics rather than uh, you know actually exceeding capacity or being denied care because of legal threats. Um I kind of want to like lean back on it and just be a resource because I know a, a lot of uh, things that, you know, might be, uh, you know, difficult to talk through with people who want to try and find care that won't be legal for them anymore. Um, but I've got, you know, contacts and friends who are doing what they can to make sure that they can provide the best legal support in the meantime. Absolutely. And I think it's a really important point to highlight that, uh, the law matters, yes, but 
the law does not magically the law does not magically become part of our day-to-day interactions law people have to choose whether to comply or not and we're seeing a lot of people a lot of good people do what they can within these laws to really try to protect people and protect their access to health care yeah i live here in tennessee so i mean we're going through a lot of what you guys are going through and i say guys very gender neutral sorry um but i i feel like we've got people on our side sort of kind of like you sort of kind of like y'all that you know, we've got lawyers and stuff that are fighting for us. The ACLU has already, you know, stepped up and everything. But we also have private organizations that are in our community doing things, especially with the drag ban and and the healthcare. We're, you know, we're there stepping up and helping us out. And it definitely helps to have allies on your side, uh, people that you know believe that you know you're a human and you deserve to have the same access and rights that any cis person has. Alexis, you had the next question. So, uh, as you, you know, you all were talking about um, Athena. You know, you're in Missouri, Alexander. You're in Missouri, Mar. You're in Tennessee. So you're in these states that are actively trying to restrict uh, the health care that uh, trans and non-binary people need. I happen to be in Maryland, where those access is, is being expanded, especially through Medicaid, uh, which was a huge deal. So there's this dichotomy of some states going out of their way to increase uh, access that that we need while other states are trying to, you know, outright ban it uh, in in some cases. So, uh, Alexander, what other signs do you see as you look across the states of, you know, the ones that are trying to expand access, those that are that are trying to restrict access and um, you know, which ones are at most risk of losing the access that have not already lost access? Yeah, um, that's I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? Um, and we're, you know, we at Transformations Project, we try very carefully to stick to facts and what we know for sure. Um, we try not to speculate in general. Um because we want to be, you know, very transparent with like where we're getting our information, et cetera. Um, so just, just a caveat that this is speculation and, mm-hmm. that, you know, this is not, uh, there's no way to predict the future. Right. But what we can do is we can look at where lots of anti-trans bills have been introduced. We can look at where lots of anti-trans bills have already been passed. Um, we can look at where anti-trans rhetoric is going. And frankly, this is an extremely partisan issue. We can look at which legislatures are conservative at the moment. Um, and all of these factors, you know, play into how a state is going to respond. Um, we're seeing more and more polarization on trans healthcare access gender affirming healthcare access. Uh, and most states at this point are choosing a side one way or another. And you're absolutely right that we're seeing a lot of promise in a lot of states expanding access to gender affirming care in response. And we are also seeing a lot of states 
um, try to enact uh, laws that basically protect um, trans and non-binary people and their loved ones who may be fleeing from other states. And the point I keep coming back to over and over is that, yes, it is good that there are states stepping up to try to protect trans people. But it's not, we can't afford to get complacent with that. You know, we can't afford to say, oh, look, half of the country is safe, so it's fine, because it's not fine. And we know for sure that there are going to be many, many trans and non-binary people who are trapped now in states that have that are explicitly targeting them. And, you know, not everyone has the resources to move states or the opportunity to move states. And we know that the people who don't have the opportunity or the resources to do that are much more likely to be trans and non-binary people of color. They're much more likely to be trans and non-binary people with disabilities. Um, they're in short, most likely to be the most disadvantaged and the most vulnerable in our communities. And we can't, we can't abandon them. We can't say, oh, well, I'm going to move to a safer state and so everything will be fine. And I'm not, I want to be clear, I'm not suggesting that that is what you all were implying. Um, I just, any place where trans people are being persecuted means there's still work to do. Oh, ab absolutely. I, I, th I think what I was, what I was trying to, to say with, with the, with what I was saying and, and, and the question was, you have this the states moving to extremes yes you have you have some states that are going above and beyond to protect people from states that that you know from other citizens from different states so like say washington you can you know go to washington and uh you're protected by the laws there from persecution from the other state that you're fleeing and it seems like that's just it the the it's getting worse as the days yes. go by. And so there's these states that are, you know, they may be quietly passing laws or they may be kind of in the shadows um, making policy. And, you know, which are, are, is, are there any states though that stand out to you in this, in this moment that haven't gone full on to the side of, of banning and restricting that are, that are in, in the most danger, would you say? That, that stand out or is or is it basically it's an emergency across the board there's no it's not necessary to single out a single state because everything is at risk at this point honestly um not to be i try to be realistic with these things i don't want to give people false hopes um i think we are all in an enormous amount of danger right now mm -hmm. um for two major reasons um, actually, three major regions. The third one just occurred to me. Uh, firstly, uh, once once one state has implemented these kind of restrictions, the others follow. It really, really is consistently we're seeing who you know 
who is daring someone to try to stop them with the next escalation. And if they get away with it, there's an immediate follow through of a bunch of other states who were watching that very closely. So depending on how the courts go with this Missouri order, um, this is a huge escalation and has puts many, many people in danger. Every Republican attorney general in the United States <laughs> at that point would be looking to take similar or the same actions almost, it seems. And, and and you can almost see in the legislation itself the way it's written. I'm sure that, Alexander, that you've seen through all of your study of these, how similarly these things are worded. It's almost so it's almost as yeah, it's it's almost as if, you know, one state writes a bill, the other goes, hey, that looks good, but we can improve on that. It's even worse so, than that. I'm using improve in quotes here. I'm not using that in a positive sense from oh, their no, no, perspective. No, I, I don't want to I don't want to say that's an improvement when they make it worse. Um, so, but, oh, I apologize. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're fine. Go ahead. Um, so what we do know is we know there are lobbying groups that are writing these bills for conservative uh, representatives to introduce in their legislatures or to try to force through in extra legalities. Um, they are providing the same bill text to anyone they think will bite. Um, and so that's where you see those similarities. Um, and because it, it, re it literally is copy pasted. It literally is the same bill being introduced in different places. Um, I do, I do want to hop back to, um, what I was saying about why the crisis is going to impact all of us um, sooner rather than later. So the first one is the precedence um, is a huge issue. And we see, you know, copycatting after the precedence is set. Secondly, um, what many people don't realize right now is that um, states issuing uh certain states issuing certain um protective orders is functionally a constitutional crisis um because basically if let, let's take a couple states so that we know what we're talking about right let's say if washington state um says oh we're not going to uphold the laws of missouri that then means that Washington state arguably has an, uh, a superseding legislative and governmental power to the state of Missouri. And that ha question has not been resolved. We do not know how that's going to be resolved. And we do not know if any of these protective orders were stick based on that example, based on that reason. So that is extremely dangerous. Um, and the third and the big, big reason is none of this matters depending on who gets elected in 2024. Everything depends on the 2024 presidential election right now. Whether the United States keeps cascading further into farther, <laughs> farther into extreme far right, uh, governments or whether we reverse this trend and i know a lot of people are scared about trump and that's that's completely deserved trump is scary we all lived 
four years under Trump's administration. And, you know, we all suffered and saw how it laid the groundwork for this. Unlike in 2016, trans persecution is now at the top of the docket, both Trump and the one I'm more afraid of, DeSantis, have specifically stated that one of their campaign goals is to restrict the access of trans and non-binary people to healthcare, to, you know, to sports, to even existing in society. Um, you know, the famous CPAP quote of the elimination of transgenderism, um, that should have woken a lot of people up because they have told us exactly what they're going to do. We don't have to guess. It's to eliminate. And when they say eliminate transgenderism or transgender ideology, that is rhetoric that intentionally dehumanizes trans and non-binary people because what they are saying is we want to eliminate these people. But if you say that, some people might balk. So you code it instead in dog whistles. We are going to eliminate ideology. We are going to remove pronoun usage. Um, all of these things just mean we are trying to kill trans and non-binary people. And I don't mean this to be, I don't mean this to be hopeless because it's not hopeless. There are people all over the country. There are people all over internationally who are fighting this. And the more we collaborate together, the more powerful we become. And regardless of whether they hold up in court, those, um, those protective ordinances made by certain states matter because even if they do not hold up in court, they are bringing that court battle and making it more difficult to ban trans and non-binary people from existence in conservative states. And they're giving people a lot of hope. Um, you know, there's the, the famous quote that comes back to me all the time now is that hope is a discipline. And what that means is that hope doesn't just happen sometimes in dark times, which we are definitely in dark times right now. Um, you have to work at it. You have to find your hope and you have to continue to cultivate that. Oh, I 100% agree with you. I, I always try to bring up the positive in a situation, even if it's a weird positive, it's still, you know, a positive. So on that note, what excites you about, you know, the project and the work, the quality and great, great work y'all are doing? Thank you so much for that. That means the world, truly. Um, honestly, working on the project has given me so much hope because I get to interact constantly with so many people who once they know there's something they can do, once they stop being trapped by that helplessness, they are willing to do, th they are willing to step up and do this. They are willing to put in the work 
and they are willing to fight back. They just need to not do it alone. And if I've taken anything away from this whole, uh, I guess, journey while I've been uh, leading this project and this project has turned into something I never would have imagined uh, when I started it. Um, it's that together, you know, we have to hold each other up. We have to be doing this work together. We cannot be doing it alone. If you're doing the work alone, you're not only going to burn out and be less effective, but you're also going to have a very hard time maintaining that hope. That is so critical. And a number one thing that I would recommend right now for trans and non-binary people to do, regardless of where you are, is intentionally build community that you can count on and that you can rely on because community is what protects us. And we, you know, we have to take care of each other. And that's what I see in the Transformations Project is people and not just trans people, anyone is welcome to volunteer with us. So uh, we have a good number of cis people actually who have stepped up and have really contributed. And that gives me so much hope because there are people out there who see this and they see what's happening and they go, oh, absolutely not. Which I think that is the, the isolating thing is when everyone else is acting like everything is normal while all of this is going on. Like the little meme person sitting there drinking their coffee and it's like, everything's fine and everything around them is on fire. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's, I, I really feel that's real good, true interpretation. Now we went from COVID where that's how we felt into this. And it's like, I'm still there. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm sick and tired of being hot. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I like the fires to go down a little bit, please, or at least be a different kind of fire. You know, the fire to give equal rights to our community, to women, to just everyone. And I think I think your project and I'm going to brag about our my project with my friend Jenna and like this project right here, the Trans Narrative Podcast and everything that Athena does. Alexis, I know you're, I know you're probably part of the, I know you're the part of the community there. I just make funny TikToks that make people laugh. <laughs> but it's needed. Everybody's got a role. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a small role, but it's one that, that's one that I'm happy to do. And, and Alexander, I got to say it, it, I, I, I love the fact that you are trying so hard to include cis people in the conversation because we cannot do this without the support of cis people. I mean, we yeah. are a tiny percentage of the population. We cannot do this on our own. And so by reaching out to everyone, not making it just a, a conversation amongst transgender and non-binary people, but being like, hey, cis people, we need you as well. I think that's incredibly important. And I'm so glad you're doing that. Thank you. Yeah, that's something we really believe in. And that's something that we try to do very intentionally at the organization. Um, we... Um, in the organization, we try to encourage 
um, our CIS volunteers to take on some of the um, the heavier work when they can, because you know reading about people wanting to eliminate you is very taxing. And so we try to em we try to emphasize cis people who want to step up need to be putting themselves on the front lines of this, and they need to be putting themselves in the way because they're not trying to eliminate you. And that is a huge advantage in this fight, you know, both psychologically and just materially. Um, and you're absolutely right, Alexis, that uh, our community is very small. And without cis people willing to say, this is wrong, this is, this is killing people, and those people matter, is what's going to change this. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I do want to make sure that people who are interested in participating and in, in helping uh, to spread the word and engage with your project, how can they best uh, help assist? Where they where can they uh, apply to be a part or, or what can they do to, to find out more? Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for including that question. Um, so the ways that you can engage with us. Um, firstly, the easiest way you can do is we are all over social media. We have, um, let me see if I get them all. Uh, we have Twitter, TikTok, Tumblr, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So we are on almost everything. We share every single weekday, we share legislative updates, which is all anti-trans bills that have moved or been introduced. And we share lists of those every weekday to keep people updated. Um, we also share, you know, calls for volunteers and calls for donations and, uh, you know, general news. We share action alerts, um, for, you know, hearings you can go to and hearings you can go to and, uh, protests you can go to and things that you can tangibly do. Um, we really emphasize action because all of this information without providing that actionable part can just be that hopelessness machine. And we need need to emphasize at all times that there's always something you can do to resist. Will always, always be something you can do. And so sharing our social media posts um, is very helpful for us to have additional reach, both to uh, complete our missions of informing trans and non-binary people and activating cis people. Um, Additionally to that, we have a newsletter and our newsletter goes out every Friday. Um, our big newsletter covers all legislative updates from the week as well as major happenings in trans advocacy in general. Um, you can sign up for that at our website. Our website is transformationsproject.org. Um, and you can also you can also volunteer with us if you would like. As I said before, everyone is welcome to volunteer with us. Um, everyone is welcome to volunteer with us as long as you are over the age of majority. I apologize. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are some state laws that prevent us from allowing minors to volunteer with us. Um, and we try to allow anyone to stay, uh, 
we prioritize people's safety. So we don't want them to have to share their location. Um, but regardless, if you are over the age of majority, you are welcome to volunteer with us. It does not matter if you are in the US, it does not matter if you are cis, it does not matter if you only have an hour a week to contribute. We are happy for your help. We are an entirely volunteer run effort. We appreciate every bit of capacity that people can loan to us. Um, you can sign up um, on our volunteer application form on our website. Um, the application form is not to turn people away. Um, the application form exists so that one, we can help you find where in the organization you will be the best fit. And two, because we've had so much interest, which is this is such a beautiful problem to have. We've had so much interest that uh, we can only um, orientate and induct so many people at a time uh, just because we need to maintain stability in the organization and we have a process that you go through to volunteer with us. Um, and that takes capacity. So there's only so many people we can volunteer at a time. The volunteer interest form will not turn you away it will just take some time. It is a wait list. It is not like you're being interviewed. It is not like you're being judged. It is not like, uh, it is not like we are turning people away in general. And the last thing, um, not the last thing, another thing, please use our resources. Please use them. Please, please use them. We work so hard to provide these resources so that other people can use them. We are the beginning of resistance and not the end. Um, we are facilitators and we provide the information and the knowledge for you to organize a protest, for you to organize people to go to a hearing, um, for you to get your legislators into a room with you, um, like Athena, you were talking about earlier, um, and humanize trans and non-binary people, um, to contact them as best as you can. We give you many different varieties of ways to contact your representatives, um, to spread the word. Uh, you know, all of this started with social media posting, which is absurd. Um, but even something as small as social media posting has impact and take care of each other. Right now, we need that more than ever. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope more than anything that I'm wrong. But I suspect we will need each other much more in the coming years. I'm Elliot with the Transformations Project and we have some trans rights good news to share this week. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly vetoed several anti-trans bills, many of which were expected to be subject to veto override from the state's Republican majorities. She successfully vetoed a ban on gender-affirming care for youth. Gender-affirming care is safe in Kansas for one more year at the very least. This comes as a relief for trans people in the state of Kansas. There were two wins in Missouri this week. First, the Report Your Neighbor for Being Trans or Having a Trans Kid tip line established by a Unelected Attorney General Andrew Bailey has been taken offline after being spammed repeatedly with the script of B-Movie in place of actual reports. A.G. Bailey's emergency rule has been temporarily stalled by St. Louis Judge Ellen Roboto. This stay is only until Monday, but considering that the order was set to go into effect last Thursday, any stay of progress is ground gained. 
The Department of Justice has intervened in a federal lawsuit filed by the ACLU in Tennessee against its gender-affirming care ban, arguing that it violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment and is thus unconstitutional. The DOJ has requested an immediate order to prevent the ban from going into effect. This action is a new development as far as litigation against bans on transgender care goes and is categorically a win. And if you want to keep up on legislative victories and anti-trans related news, sign up for a weekly newsletter delivered to your inbox every Friday at transformationsproject.org. All right, and welcome back to the Trans Narrative Podcast. This is Athena Primakis. And Alexis, you prepared for us some of the news of the week. What's going on? Uh, Well, Florida is always at the top of the list for whatever reason. Um, and uh, I, I, th- I think the most worrisome legislation to come out of Florida recently was the bill that allows trans kids to be removed from their families. This is a new type of overreach uh, by a state government by threatening to remove kids from their families. Um, the the bill itself, while horrid, um, is definitely going to be challenged in court. There's no doubt about that. In fact, all of these bills coming out of Florida, uh, Missouri, all these other states, everything's going to be played out in the courts. But this one is particularly horrifying um, because uh, the, basically the text of the bill says that uh, if a child has been subjected to or threatened with being subjected to, which is, I, I think that wording alone, the threat of being subjected to gender affirming care just goes to show the state's view on what gender affirming care is, that it's not right. health care, that it's a threat to a child. So even the language within the bill is horrid in itself. Uh, but basically with, with that, the state could not only remove the child from the home, but this goes to the point about other states being refuge states, Minnesota, um, Colorado, Washington state. Um, what, what the idea of those sanctuary laws are is that a a person could bring their child to that state to get gender affirming care without fear of tradition yeah right but the problem with the florida bill is that it allows the state to modify custody custody agreements so if you have two parents one in florida and one in say minnesota and there's this fear that if the child goes to minnesota and will receive gender affirming care the state can modify those custody agreements to prevent that from happening. So these legislatures are already responding to the sanctuary laws that are being created. And Florida, as always, for whatever reason, is at the top of the list, first out of the gate. Um, So that's one thing out of Florida. The other thing that's out of Florida right now is that um, there was talk before about them expanding the, uh, the don't say gay law. Because initially it was K through third grade and Ron DeSantis got all uppity about people saying, well, what happens when you expand it? And then there was talk about expanding it. Well, now that expansion has happened. The Board of Education has approved the expansion of that restriction uh, for K through 12. So no talk about gender identity, no talk about um, um, anything in K through 12. Um, which again, horrid and Florida setting the standard for horrid. It's also critical to note that, uh, two things to note, um, is firstly the don't say gay bills, don't say gay or trans bills really, 
um, basically ban trans people, uh, period, from working in educational institutions because any um, mention of, unless they are completely self, unless they are perfectly passing as cis and as their gender, uh, their existence there is banned because they are not allowed to mention it functionally. The other thing that I definitely want to bring up is um, for, again, cis allies who cis allies and cis people who may be underestimating the severity of the crisis going on right now. Um, separating children forcibly from their parents falls under the internet based on belonging to a specific group, uh, falls under the international uh, standards of genocide, as does intentionally creating circumstances under which you know a group is likely to suffer material harm. Um, and the Lemkin Institute, which is the institute that actually coined the term genocide, um, named after um, Lemkin was the person who invented the concept, basically, um, put out a statement back in November, actually, um, saying that what is going on against trans people in the United States right now qualifies as genocide. And that um, mention has gone almost entirely unreported mm -hmm. and things have escalated substantially from there. So a question I often ask people, uh, people who are bystanders in this is, you know, we all like to, when we're kids or when we're learning about, you know, atrocities throughout history, we like to think, you know, what would we have done in that circumstance? We all like to think we wouldn't have sat by the sidelines and now is your chance to prove it. Oh, say that again. Oh Lord, that that was that was perfect. And really, if you look back at history, what they're doing is what people have done in the past. And another way to put it is, do you want to be that person in the book, in that picture, yelling at a child for being themselves, wanting an education, wanting just to be them? Because they're already we can see what they're doing now with CRT. They're freaking out about it because they don't want they don't want their grandkids to see their picture. And you, it does seem like yeah, Fl Florida wants to go ahead and take advantage of all of the executive positions that it holds and trying to abuse their majority Republican legislature as well to push through any kind of features that they want, which is why a lot of people are really worried about Ron DeSantis being a front runner, exhibiting these kinds of behaviors that are, you know, over overarching control, uh, not against not only against uh, members of his own state, but like uh, favoring his own state over others in their interpretation of laws. Um, and that's something that will definitely attract the Supreme Court at some point. But there are human lives that are going to be affected by this without a court case involved that are already shaping and changing the dialogues and discussions that parents have about their children. And, and all of these, um, all of these bills, all of these, all this legislation coming out, it's, it's all based on lies, misinformation, misunderstanding of. And disarming children from learning the truth about themselves and the world around them. It's, it's, it's awful. And when when legislation is is built upon that kind of foundation, the, the 
the next course of course of action is is to challenge it in the courts. If we can't vote it out, we'll challenge it in the courts. And I'm so glad that there are people out there who are prepared to do that and are doing it right now as we speak. I mean, in the state of Missouri, uh, you know, Alexander, Athena, you're both in Missouri, correct? Yes. I just want to make sure I remember Lambda that. Lambda Legal is going to be representing with uh, the ACLU. Uh, Lambda Legal, I've I've had some people who are in conversations with their group about how they're approaching it. They don't have any cases as of yet, uh, as of this morning, at least, to mm-hmm. uh, proceed with anything to bar, uh, you know, or put an injunction forward. Um, but they are working through every case. Basically, it will take until it is a challenge in order to receive the court for, for this particular uh, on how the treatment uh, is. The the wording of the law is vague enough that you could apply it to anyone and, and no one if you wanted to. Um, but the the real difficult part for for uh, care providers to navigate through is making sure the people that they are you know supporting can find whatever care they need without having to have uh, you know a slap law. You know it's a, a trap law is what those those are called. So they want to try and, and trick a provider into providing, you know, the, the care against the rules that they set up arbitrarily in order to try and cut it down. And that puts a lot of pressure on the care providers themselves and it moves them uh, for the most part out of state. And that's what we're seeing a lot of is just some reticence for people to provide gender affirming care, a cancellation of appointments from surgeries to hormones. And it goes all the way back to, to hormones and just gender affirming care, the words in it themselves, uh, like half of the people in the St. Louis clinic that had the whistleblower, uh, only half of those internal case studies that they reviewed received hormone blockers, zero of them any kind of surgeries. But that was the uh, proceeding – that was the precedent by which the attorney general decided this emergency action uh, is a case of about – I think it was a 1,000 people receiving – hormone blockers under the age of 18 in the entire state. And that really brings it back to um, the point that I'm really glad you brought up, Alexis, which is that all of this is founded on pseudoscience. And I say that as a as a trained biologist. My, my day job is I am the laboratory manager of a cardiac biomechanical engineering lab. I make human heart tissues in Petri dishes. It's based on pseudoscience. Sex being binary, sex being even a definable category that isn't um, arbitrary as all hell, uh, is pseudoscience. And it's pseudoscience based on um, misunderstandings from the basic science that we teach kids. Um, uh, A really good example of this that I like to say is, you know, just because when when you're a kid, you're taught how to count. That doesn't mean that the only numbers are integers. It means that you have to be taught how to count before you can understand that there are numbers in between that. And very similar with the definition of sex. Um, the The simplified version of biology that we teach children is simplified because you have to learn some oversimplifications before you can understand why they're wrong. And the fact that we are now legislating, not based on actual science, but on pseudoscience, um, should scare people a lot more than it is currently. Using science in legislature, though, has 
if, if the last 10 years has been any indication, uh, scientific evidence um, in in state and even, you know, the U.S. House and Senate. It doesn't fly there for some reason, because you can still vote based on your opinion. So the court is really where where the science will win in in court well, cases. Yeah, um, the courts are definitely, you know, um, I want to emphasize to people that when these laws are, you know, signed, when they're signed into bill or, or when they're signed into action or when uh, people like the attorney general of Missouri, uh, you know, make proclamations as he did, uh, that's not the end of it. Um, you know, the court process still has to go through. What people also need to know um, is that the biggest, one of the biggest damages from the Trump administration that will continue to haunt us, regardless of how the 2024 election goes, that will continue to haunt us for decades, is that Trump successfully stacked the courts to lean conservative. Thankfully, yeah. they've had a couple of indications from the Supreme Court on recent rulings that they haven't been as totalitarian or authoritarian as we might have feared. Mifeprazone, one of those abortion, anti-abortion drugs has remained legal, uh, even though there was an injunction from a Texas court in the middle of nowhere. They do appear to still have some of the broader interests of the general welfare mm-hmm. in mind when ruling. You know, but yeah, this is great news. And and you know you can you can silence you you it's 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 hard to silence evidence and and words and knowledge in in a, in a court setting but you know in the state legislatures the the senate the house <clears throat> excuse me it's it's so easy to to as as a minority to be silenced I mean just recently in Montana. I, I don't know if you had heard mm-hmm. the news out of Montana's um, representative uh, Zoe Zephyr, who was Montana's only transgender representative, um, said something that the uh, the legislature didn't like, and they are silencing her until they get an apology. So there's this very childish treatment of people right now in these legislatures um, who are attempting to speak out. And, and they can silence them on the floor, but they're not going to silence the message in in the court. And I think that's what gives me hope is that we at least have a system where, you know, you can tell representatives effort to be quiet on the floor. Maybe you can do that, but you're not going to stop the words that she has to say from making it into, you know, court cases. Yeah, you're you're exactly right that that's a great um that's a great place to draw hope from. Um, and it brings us back to an overarching point that gives me a lot of hope, which is that um, these laws aren't popular. Um, they're created in this insular echo chamber of far right think tanks and far right uh, legislators and their, you know, their narrow bands of supporters. Um, we have real problems to address. And the more we can point that out to people and say, hey, your legislature, your legislators are your representatives who you pay their salary uh, are wasting their time bullying transgender children when 
there's a pandemic, there's an economic crisis, there's, uh, you know, rising international tensions, there's rising domestic tensions, there's, we have real problems. And it brings back to this point that I always want to bring up, which is that it's a deflection. They are scapegoating transgender and non-binary people as a uh, minority group to blame their poor leadership on. And, you know, this is a tale as old as time. We see this in every civilization that has ever been. Um, you know, you pick a group that is marginalized and you scapegoat them and you blame all your problems on them. And if you can convince people that actually bullying this marginalized group and trying to eliminate this marginalized group will eliminate your problems, then you don't have to take accountability for your leadership or your decisions. Tennessee is a great example of where deflection failed. I mean, Mar, you know exactly what I'm about to talk about. Yeah, uh, but I, you know, I'll tell you what, that's your home state. That's your home. I'm going to let you talk about it. But I don't think we can talk about deflection amongst the legislature without talking about uh, those representatives who got, right who got booted out and Memphis. walked right back in. I love it. Yeah, no, they... I, I can tell you, we went crazy here in Memphis for uh, Justin P, not the other Justin, who's from Nashville. And we told our representatives on our city council, you will put them back. We, we want him back. And now we have to spend a million dollars to do a whole other special election to put him right back in the same place. Because people in the city are very much up in arms over this. And that's not only here. It's same with Nashville and and those people that their representatives voice was silenced and taken away. Same. Well, Gloria from the the uh, east side of the state, you know, was still was left alone, but only by one vote. So that's that's how close it came to basically all three being kicked out. And Gloria said it perfect. Um, look at me, <laughs> you know, one white woman, two black guys. It speaks volumes. Yep. And that's what's happening in Tennessee is, and it's still happening to this right now. And this session just ended. They pushed it through so fast. They were like, we're going to get everything done in a week and pushed it through. And Governor Lee, I just saw today is saying, no, 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 we're going to do something about guns. This is the first time that man has ever said that first off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> ever. That's why I didn't vote for him the first time and I'm never going to vote. And I didn't vote for him the second time. And anyway, um, personal opinion was really about to take over there, but, um, but yeah, Tennessee three, they, they were kicked out and then no, we said they're going to go back. And that, that response I think is, is, is a blueprint. Oh yeah. I, I, I think that can, that can be utilized um, throughout the country. Uh, the public's response to seeing something so egregious as them being kicked out for ridiculous reasons, um, I, I think is a blueprint that we can all use going forward um, as these state legislatures uh, start, uh, well, not start, continue to act up, so to speak. Mm -hmm. No, and that's, and they're still trying to silence them now. Every time they speak, it's always this, this, this. And they call it out on rules and then they have to go to subcommittees. And it's like, are we ever going to get business done? We have so many issues here in Tennessee. It's ridiculous. Not only the guns we have, our education is bottom of the country. We need to invest in that. Here in Memphis, 
I mean, Tyree Nichols. I, I don't think I can. I don't. I don't need to say anymore. We don't. There. We have issues that we need to be solving. We have children going hungry. We have kids that they would go to a D, DHS office because they were taken from their parents or you know whatever happened. I'm not going to speculate. Whatever was happening, they were sleeping on the floors at the office because they didn't have a place to put these children. But do you want to come after my drag queen and kings who do nothing but love and support the community? And there are plenty of them who are also part of the trans community. I can't even, the majority of drag kings that I know have all, are all on T and getting gender affirming care. A lot of the queens are either non-binary or have started testosterone, not testosterone, excuse me, <laughs> estrogen. And, you know, they're doing their HRT, but you're coming after us. We have so many other issues that we need to solve. And our representatives, the Democrat representatives have been trying to solve them. Well, I think one of the, the things that I would say about the Republican Party in general is that they want to govern our way or the highway, and then they vote to defund the highway bills. Oh no! General, they're they're putting in toll lanes here in Tennessee, and people are like, "We ain't paying. You're stupid. You don't even use the money we give you to do things right. We've got potholes here in Memphis that like take out car rims. No, we're not going to do that. It's it, it's just yeah. See, but Memphis is very outspoken on things. We can't help ourselves. And but the Republicans also their house is dirty. We look at. Our Speaker of the House, Mr. Sexton, he's from Crossville, but lives in Nashville. That's an issue. We just had one representative. Um, he was found guilty of sexually harassing an intern. And what did they do with that intern? Oh, they didn't really, I don't know if they really believed her, but they did pay for her to move away. But you don't take care of the issue. Now they have, they finally kicked him out. And when did they find that out? Before they kicked out the Tennessee Three. Now they finally got rid of Mr. Campbell. And they're holding themselves up to some internal scrutiny finally. Yeah, I I thoroughly agree with that last statement, unfortunately. Um, knowing where your safe spots are are going to be very important for the whole community. And that's why we have things like this podcast and your project and all the other events and stuff that are going on. Go out there and meet your community. Talk to them. I have found a I have found a whole other family in the in my community and it is it has helped me mentally like so much to have my family and I mean I I said it in one of one of the other episodes um y'all are y'all are basically cousins now because you know that's how we do it in the south so um, you know and and it helps to have everyone there and together and hopeful. Mm -hmm. So well, we want to thank you for joining us so that we could build and inspire that hope to reach out to the community and make sure that our voices are heard. Uh, Alexander, do you have any other parting words or pluggables for us? Um, I already gave the whole spiel about how you can support us. So <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much to all of you for having me. Thank you for being willing to uplift um, the efforts of the Transformations Project. It really means more than I can say. And thank you for being in community with me. Well, from all three of us here and Caroline, who was not able to uh, join us today, taking a good mental health break because she needs it just as much as everybody else needs it from time to time. 
Um, we want to say thank you so much for the work you do, for helping people understand the legal gumbo, <laughs> as sometimes I like to call it. Um, your your work with you, your organization, and your volunteers is much needed and appreciated. So never, ever think it's not. Thank you. Yeah, so um, thank you for listening to the Transnarrative Podcast. I'm Mar, and as Alex said, keep hope going in your lives. We are all here. The community is here for you. Reach out. Somebody will reach back. So thank you all so much. Athena, you know, you're my favorite. <laughs> One of my favorites. How about that? Alexis, it was wonderful to meet you. And I look forward to your um to your expanded uh, podcast that we're gonna do with you. I think that's I can't wait because the your background is like it's great. We love we all love it. <laughs> this is all a result of the pandemic. This is just years of me just slowly building. <laughs> Yeah, just pandemic one, panic room. One panel at a time. Shh. That's a great way to put it. This is my panic room. When I just need to hide for a minute, this is where I go. See, self-help. Always mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Alex, again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you ever need anything from any of us, you now have our contact information. Thank you all so much. This is Mar, your co-host for this podcast. This has been the Trans Narrative Podcast. Please follow, like, and subscribe pretty much on all social media platforms. Go to your Spotify, hook us up there. Go to the Apple podcast, pretty much where you can get your podcasts. We're there. Go listen, follow, watch us on YouTube so you can see our beautiful, handsome, sexy faces every time. It's great. So come come and enjoy the, the community here. Uh, you can email the Trans Narrative podcast um, if you would like to co-host become involved with us you can do that at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com and we look forward to hearing from all of you so i just want to thank you all for listening to the trans narrative podcast and i'm athena Primakis. i'm going to thank mar newell again for being here and special thanks to alexis strope for bringing here uh, with our our news coverage here and as well as that our transformations project uh, founder alex uh, Petrovna. And uh, thank you very much for being with us today. We're grateful for collaborating with your organization to produce the civic report here on the Trans Narrative Podcast. Every one of you have a wonderful weekend. You too. Thank you. Hey, everyone. If you'd like this episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and follow. More importantly, share with your friends. Today's episode is recorded on April 22nd, 2023, via Zoom. Today's show was co-hosted by Athena Hermakis and Mar Newell. Today's guest co-host was Alexis Stroke. Today's guest was Alex Petronia from the Transformations Project. This episode was edited and produced by Caroline Penny. The Trans Narrative Podcast was co-developed by Ariel Lackey, Athena Permacus, and Lucy Balzano. Research provided by Athena Permacus, Caroline Penny, and Mar Newell. Music provided by Infraction Music titled Good Vibe. The music you hear now has been created and produced by Athena Permacus. This episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast was brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to upload a podcast, now known as Podcasters for Spotify. Thank you for supporting this show. For more details about this episode, go to the description linked below. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, now available on YouTube. Subscription for exclusive content available. Be sure to go to anchor.fm slash transnarrative. 
If you'd like to reach out to learn more, be a guest, or are looking to get involved with the show, email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. That's transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com.